Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Hope you've enjoyed these last eight weeks worth of sermons as we've gone through the book of Hebrews together. Uh, It isn't the easiest book to get through, but the goal was to help you all get a better understanding of the meaning and purpose of it. Every week I've given you an overview of the basic outline of the book, and I'm not going to do that this morning. Um, If you want to hear that, you can go back to last week. It takes me too long. So uh, I want to get right to the heart of these verses that we're going to go over today. And I hope that you've read through the entire book, that as you've read through it, that you've noticed uh, how many verses within Hebrews are what we sometimes refer to as memory verses. Not that all verses aren't worthy of memorization, But uh, there's some that just stand out, that stick out, and there's so many of those in this book. How many noticed that? They're like, oh, I know that. I've read that as you read through it this time around. And so it's just just been an awesome time these eight weeks. I I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, Many of those verses that we've read, uh, we've actually adopted into our Christianese way of speaking. How many know what Christianese is? It's when you talk in a way that only other church people can understand what you're saying. Uh, that's Christianese. But I, I hope that as you've read them once again, these verses, because sometimes we, those, especially those memory type verses, um, that when you read them within the context of Hebrews as a whole, that you were reminded and maybe even enlightened a little bit uh, to a deeper understanding of them. Uh, this last week's reading was only eight verses. I hope you could get through that. How many got through your eight verses this last week? How many got lost a long time ago and just gave up on it? Okay, a couple of you. Well, read it again. It's, it's, it's worth reading. Um, we've only did two, like, two chapters at most a week, and that's not too much to get through. Uh, I'm really going to preach through the entire chapter, last chapter, 13, a little bit this morning. So I hope you've had a chance to read it. I, I think that the most profound thing about this series has been its timing. Um, I take no credit for that. God is just so amazing that he can lead us without us even knowing it sometimes. How many have experienced that before? God just led you and you didn't even know it. And uh, he's so good to us that way. But the fact that this book was written to Christians who were under an extreme amount of pressure in order to encourage them to remain faithful and remain true to Jesus is so timely for us. We planned to do this series last year. We picked the time of year to do it before January of 2020. And here we are as Christians. We wouldn't have known this, but completely uh, in, in a different place than we were a year ago. We're under a lot of pressure, even struggling in some cases. Maybe not to the extremity that the pressures, that, that their pressures were, the first people that heard Hebrews. But that doesn't make it any easier to, or, or negate the fact that the church in America is going through something difficult right now. Time, they're going through tough times and, and they're experiencing pressure. There's no doubt about that. Pressure to close until everything is over, pandemic-wise. Pressure to liberalize their message and go with modern-day ideas and values or stick to the absolute truth of the Word of God, which has guided us and, and never steered us wrong for, for over two millennia. Pressure to, pr- to preach happy, unchallenging messages that tickle ears because of consumer Christianity. Do you know what consumer Christianity is? It's the fact that people aren't as dedicated to their church as they used to be. If they don't like something on a certain Sunday or they don't appreciate what the pastor is wearing a particular week or 
they don't like the musical number, they don't like a decision that was made, they can go down the street and find a new church. That's consumer Christianity. It's so easy to find another place of worship. And so that, that tie-in, that buy-in, that, that, uh, that uh, uh, commitment to one local body has kind of gone out the window in some cases. And that's bad, and it's sad. You know, it, it's interesting to think about this. I, I, was, I was thinking about how awesome online is, and we're so, we're so thankful that we have online, and so many of you are watching online. We so appreciate that. But um, do you know that God doesn't control big tech? Big tech does what they want to do. And for right now, you know, uh, it's, it's great that we have big tech allowing us to uh, put church services on, but do you know that that could turn off in a moment? Do you know that our services have been blocked from time to time? Because we said something too many times and their algorithms didn't like it, so they shut it off. What happens if the churches are closed? Oh, that's okay. We can close church. We can still meet in our living rooms and watch on all this social media. What if social media, big tech, shuts us off? Then what? See, church, we have to be ready in season and out of season for anything that might come down the pike. I want to make a clear statement this morning. If you desire your church or your pastor to preach and teach with a more relaxed view of biblical values, if you want messages that are more palatable to those that have worlds, the world's view of morality, if you would rather have a soft gospel shared with the pers personal responsibility that goes along with receiving it uh, without that personal responsibility, then honestly, you probably need to find a new church and a new pastor. Because that's not this church and I'm not that guy. I'll never be that guy. And if that offends you, I'm not really sorry. That doesn't mean I think I'm perfect, because I'm certainly not. It just means that there are a lot of non-negotiables in the Word of God that we aren't going to change in the name of convenience. This has been a tough time. I, I praise God what we've come through. I praise God that we're ramping back up next week, because it bugs me that we don't have children's church. I praise God that by January we're going to be full force again. And I believe with all my heart that we will. And when I see the shoppers uh, gathering in stores and, and, and pushing and, and doing all the things that they did even on this Black Friday with, with very little social distancing going on, I, I, I'm like, it's time, church. It's time. This last chapter in Hebrews, and I'm tying this together this morning, it gives us four clear things that we need to keep doing through the difficult things that we must go through as a church during uncertain times. And there are things that some of us are already doing, praise God, but it, it, it doesn't hurt to look at, the, at what the Bible itself says to believers in times like this. So four things I'm going to give you this morning right out of Hebrews chapter 13. And I love this because it, it, it does speak, it spoke to those believers that were going through it back then, whose faith was waning a little bit, and it speaks to us today, at least it should. So, number one, the writer of Hebrews tells us to love one another, to love each other. Look at your neighbor on both sides and tell them you love them. Corey, I didn't see you look that way. Do you know that guy? But tell them you love them anyway. <laughs> we got to love one another. 
Hebrews 13, 1 says, keep on loving each other as brothers. And I'll add sisters in there too. As family, as the body of Christ, to love one another. And oh boy, do we need to hear this. When Christians begin to let down their guard, they can easily be offended. And that offense brings, begins to cause a disunity, a disunity among them. And I've seen this. We see the born-again church right now, for whatever reason, believers have let down their guard and become extremely irritable and easily offended. It's the pressures of quarantine, I'm sure. The uncertainty of, of work and family income. It's the change in schedules and the fact that we have all been forced into things we don't like because of what's going on. Many have started spending less time in the Word and more time watching and listening to the media. It's all these things balled up and it gets down inside of us and causes depression and anxiety and just all sorts of doubts and fears. And what happens is we forget to love one another, that that is our first calling. Church, we need to be deliberate about loving one another. Deliberate. Hear me. Can I get an amen? Yeah, some of you did that. <laughs> It's the truth. We need to be deliberate in how we love people. And people, even good Christian people, have become so easily offended. Have you noticed this? Everyone's just like on edge. Many have become like ticking time bombs just waiting to go off on somebody. And notice that this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying to Christians who are going through difficult times. It works for us today. He reminds them to continue to love one another. And if you disagree with one another, that's okay. It doesn't make them your enemy. Dial it down a notch. As the body of Christ, we are on the same team. As individuals, we must not let disunity arise for the sake of everyone thinking exactly like we do personally, right? And obviously, this doesn't include changing the basic truths of the Word of God. I mean, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about th things that, that don't matter as much. I think that's exactly the issue that so many Christians are facing. We are so used to right and wrong. I go to church, I, I want to hear it straight up. I want right and wrong. I want black and white about everything. I, 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 but not everything is black and white, folks. How dare you say that? There are gray areas that the Bible refers to as questions of conscience. We see this term used in the book of Acts. These include those opinions about certain things that don't constitute sin either way. In Acts, the church was arguing about whether or not they should be allowed to eat meat that had previously been offered as a sacrifice to false gods. Some said it shouldn't be eaten. It was, it was given to false gods. We shouldn't ever eat that. That would be offensive and wrong, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right. Others said it was much cheaper if you bought that meat that had already been sacrificed to idols and if you make a sin out of eating it, the financially poor Christians would go hungry because that's all they could afford. It was a big deal and it split the church. And these are the kinds of issues I'm talking about. These are the kinds of the issues we see in the church even today. Things that just split and they don't have to. The things bringing division in the church today are, are things like whether or not we should mandate masks or close church down completely. Do we do ch temperature checks at the doors? Do we socially distance? Or at what point do we stop following our governmental authorities and do what God is telling us to do? 
What hill are you willing to die on kind of thing? I know all the arguments on both sides, but wow, I'm starting to miss the good old days when church people only argued about whether or not we should do hymns or choruses. And truthfully, we have very little of these arguments in our, in our church, in this specific church, very little. You've all done so amazing at this, and it speaks to the strength of this church. Even, there's different, even when there's differing opinions, you come together and love one another. The answer to problems like this is just that. It's loving one another. And don't stop. Put one another's needs above your own. Think of others before yourself. Shut your arguments uh, that are coming out of your mouth. Shut that argumentative mouth down for two seconds. And show love instead of vocalizing the disdain that you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ. What would happen if we spent more time, and I want you to hear this, what would happen if we spent more time planning ways to deliberately love one another? We spent more time doing that than we do crafting our rebuttals to those we disagree with on social media. Have you ever had a rebuttal on social media and you've started it and you wanted to word it just perfectly? So you start in and then you're like, oh, I want, I want, you back up and then you say it again and you back up and you, you get it worded just right. We spend all this time to be argumentative so that we can be right. The writer of Hebrews told them back then and he's telling us now, I believe, love your brothers and sisters. Just love them. And don't misunderstand me. I still believe in right and wrong. I believe we need to stand up for what is right and not cower in the corner. We need to preach against sin and against those things that are contrary to the word of God. But not everything is purely black and white. Not everything is always just a matter of right and wrong. Questions of conscience come up and we must love each other through those things. The, the writer of Hebrews also mentions a few things in reference to loving one another. He encourages us in verse 2, don't forget to entertain strangers because in doing so, you may just be entertaining angels. Unless it's during a COVID pandemic, then shut your door and don't let anybody in. I think that's, that verse is in the book of Hesitations, that part, not in Hebrews. He also says that we need to remember those in prison. Contextually, this refers to believers that have been put into prison for their faith. If we were to take this verse and apply it, it may be hard because most of us don't even uh, know anyone personally who's in jail for their faith. But we do know those who are suffering because of their efforts to do the right thing. We should minister to prisoners no matter what, by the way, who, who, no matter who they are. We should minister to those that are even just in bondage or suffering in general. That's all part of loving. But loving those in our, in our within our body, the body of Christ, within our church, that are going through it. They're going through a, a struggle because they've took a stand or, or maybe just because they're just going through it, thinking about them. He also says that marriage needs to be honored. This is part of loving one another. You don't flirt with another man's wife or with another wife's husband. You don't do it. You shouldn't dishonor your own marriage or another marriage by fantasizing about another spouse. I mean, come on, this is what honoring marriage is about. Honor means you keep even your thoughts pure. Marriage is God's institution. It's between one man and one wife. One man, one woman. And we shouldn't dishonor it by condoning worldly views on the subject. 
Well, I have a relative who happens to be gay, and I, I, can't, I, I can't condone what the Word of God says because I have a relative. Having a relative does not negate the Word of God. And I know this is kind of a harsh thing, but honor marriage. The real definition, the biblical definition from the guy who invented it. Everyone knows someone who has same-sex attraction, but that doesn't make it right just because you know them. Love them, yes, treat them with respect, absolutely. Don't engage in hateful speech or acts, ever. But don't rewrite the Bible's view on it just so you can keep yourself from confrontation. I had this thought. You will either have to confront the situation now or you will end up with the Lord himself confronting you and how you refuse to adhere to his truth in the subject. Which brings me to my next point. Don't follow false teachings. Love one another. Love one another. Don't follow false teachings. Hebrews 13, 8 through 9 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. And it's amazing how in a time of crisis or struggle, believers not only forget to love one another, but they start following false teachings. I believe it's because we have such an inner desire for peace that we look for whatever will give us peace, even if it's a false doctrine. And it's, it's paradoxical, is it not, to say that we, we have no peace, so we accept Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, but he says in Luke 12, 51, that he did not come to bring peace, but to bring division. He said even households would be divided, father against son and mother against daughter. He said this because he knew that the truth would divide. We know earlier in Hebrews in 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When motives, thoughts, and intentions of the heart are truly revealed, when soul and spirit is divided... Because of the word of God, because of truth, it produces division as the truth of those feelings and those thoughts come out. It causes division. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. How can he cause division? If we try to achieve peace through human means, it's never going to happen. There are just too many opinions. How many know there's a lot of opinions? There are as many opinions as there are, as there are people. Opinions on values, morality, political positions, and policies. And by the way, you can't govern morality, no matter how hard you try or what laws you pass. You can't govern it. So what are we to do? Man can't bring about peace, and the Prince of Peace says that he came to divide. Let me just say this. There's only one name under heaven which a person can be saved. And to accept Christ now is to find eternal peace within your own heart. There's a time coming when Jesus will sit on the throne of this world and he will be the only king and he will reign over it all. During that thousand-year time period, known as the millennial reign of Christ, this world will experience peace like it hasn't since the Garden of Eden. And he will be the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace. He will be peace and peace will be on earth. I always love that, that notion that 
the beauty pageants talk about, you know, what would be your one wish? World peace, right? <laughs> World peace. It is never, ever, read my lips, it is never going to happen until Jesus sits on the throne of this world. Until then, his truth will divide people. It'll bring you peace inside your own heart when you accept him. I love it when people say to me, well, religion has caused every war. That's probably really close to being the truth. In some ways. When he sits on the throne, there will be total peace. I can't wait for that day, by the way. How awesome would that be? It's so easy to follow every wind of doctrine that comes our way when we are struggling and even suffering. When we, like the first readers of Hebrews, are waning in our faith. Somebody, just tell us what to believe and what to do and who to follow. Times of persecution and struggle are always dangerous times for believers to fall away from the faith. In verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He says this just before saying, Don't be carried away by strange teachings. He says, Remember the spiritual leaders in your life who have proven themselves to be faithful, proven by the fruit on their tree, the longevity of their ministry. These are the ones that will keep you on the straight and narrow road of truth when it comes to doctrine. It's easy to do. Think about those that have shared the word of God with you over the, the, the years past. Those who have been tried by fire and those who have come out on the other side of the struggle. Don't ever follow someone you don't want to end up being like. And the most naturally smart person in the room, and I mean smart by the world standards, can be the absolute dumbest one in the room, spiritually speaking. And isn't it interesting that everything mentioned in this chapter, and actually there are, are things mentioned that we are, are, are to do leading up to this chapter, and they are all basic things, things that, that, would, that uh, uh, we would learn in the most beginner-type Sunday school class. Be thankful, worship, with authenticity. Love one another, as we've just mentioned. Don't let yourself fall privy to false doctrines. All basic, basic stuff. And in times of struggle and uncertainty, the thing to do is to go back to the basics. Not look for some teaching that tickles your ears and gives you that temporary sense of security. At best, this is false security. And there are a lot of voices right now telling us what to do. And how many of us have said, if someone would just tell us the truth, if someone would just be consistent with what they're saying. How many have thought that? <laughs> there is someone. You can find consistent truth always in the word of God. Turn off the television. Shut off the podcast. Close whatever media you're listening to and spend time in the word of God. It's constant. It's solid. It's truth. Love one another. Don't follow the false doctrines. And number three, submit to your authority. Although the Bible is clear about submitting to all the authorities that are in our lives, this passage is really referring to those that have been placed in your life as spiritual authority. 
Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You've heard me teach in on Ephesians 5, verse 22, about wives submitting to their husbands, and that the original Greek word for submit was the word hupotasso, right? I've said that word many times from this pulpit, which means to undergird and to come underneath and support their mission in life. Wives are supposed to do that for their husbands. It gives a different idea of what the word submit means. We think of the word submit as do what I say, right? Listen to me. Obey me, right? That's how we think of it a lot of times. And that's not what it means when it comes to wives and husbands. The original Greek word in this particular verse, though, that is translated into the same English word, submit, is not hupotasso. The original word here is hupaiko. Hupaiko. And this is why it's so important to take Scripture back to the original language which it was written. A deeper understanding is achieved when you do it. In both the Ephesians verse and the Hebrews verse, the original word is translated to the word submit, even though the original words are different. And that's not, it's, it's not that it's wrong, it's just that the English language doesn't always differentiate between the different nuances that a word may be used or how it's used. So love is love in the English language, and we don't have different words that describe the, the different kinds of love and the details surrounding that love like other languages do. The same is true here. Hupaiko literally means to yield, to not resist. It means to give up authority and admonition. admonition to, it means to surrender, okay? It means to surrender. And in our English translation of this verse, it uses the word obey twice. It says, obey your spiritual leaders. Don't resist or buck their authority. Yield to their leadership and obey them so that your work will not be such a burden, but that it will be a joy. It even says that it would be of no advantage to you to resist their leadership. So um, before you start thinking that I'm being self-serving by bringing up this verse, I just want to remind you that it also says that these leaders keep watch over you as men who must give an account. And that means if you have those that are in spiritual authority over you and God has placed them in this position, then more than likely they carry a very heavy burden of knowledge that one day they will have to give an account for their actions as spiritual leaders. In other words, they'll be judged more harshly and held to a higher standard because of their position. And honestly, for me, as your pastor which is included in, in your spiritual authority, and, and I, I don't take that lightly. It's not a comforting thought to know that because I'm your pastor, I'm gonna be judged more harshly. That's not fun for me to think about. In, in heaven, there's gonna be lines like, okay, these are for congregation, these are for all the pastors, this line over here. You're gonna get in a row, and it's gonna be harsher over here. Doesn't mean God's grace isn't there for us too, but we take on a, if you take on a role of spiritual authority, you better know what comes with it. Responsibility. A burden. Who are your spiritual authorities? Well, like I said, pastors, teachers, spiritual teachers, elders within the church, 
Honestly, elders are going to be held to a standard, a higher standard uh, by God, similar to the pastor and pastoral staff. Isn't that exciting news, Pastor Jared? Higher standard for you, bro. What do you think of that, Corey? As an elder, he puts his thumbs up. Elder Gail, he's got his thumbs up. These are things they know because we talk about it. There's a higher standard of, author- or of, of uh, accountability, a higher level of accountability, a higher standard that you must live by because you're going to be judged harsher. They're going to have to give an account for what they do and how they go about doing it. You, you leaders will be held accountable for the decisions they make in governance as they will be held accountable for the words they, they teach and in their actions as well. And any leader worth his salt knows this and it should make them tremble and walk carefully before God in all that they do. Why should you listen to them? I believe that there's an anointing that's placed on spiritual leadership, the spiritual leadership that's over you. And it extends past those that may have the same kind of authority over others. Here's an example. Think of it this way. Parents have a special anointing on them to pray for their children. I believe that with all my heart. If your child is going through something horrific, I mean... The parents, if they're spiritual people, can pray like no one has ever prayed before for that child, right? It's passion. It's it's heartfelt because there's an anointing on them to pray. It's not just about loving their child. And, And I'm not talking about fear prayers. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about passionate, spirit led prayers. You have an anointing to do that as parents. I don't know how many times Alyssa and I have said there's nothing more powerful than a, than a praying mom or dad or grandmother. There's an anointing to do that. And husbands and wives have a special anointing to pray over one another for healing, protection, for whatever. And your pastor or pastors, as well as the recognized elders of the church, have, have a special anointing as they pray and lead you. It's not because they're so amazing, because we are. That was a joke. It's not because we're so amazing. It's because of, the God, it's because of God's order when it comes to submission and authority. He puts people in your lives that have authority, and he gives them an anointing to pray for you. That's why the Bible says if you are sick, you call for the elders of the church. He doesn't say call a prayer meeting of everybody in the church. He says call forth the elders. Why do you think he does that? Because there's a special anointing on elders to pray for you because they carry the burden of leadership. Most Christians know very little about this because honestly to preach on it's difficult. It's hard to tell your congregation to submit to you. It's not comfortable for me to be saying that stuff. It obviously wouldn't go over very well in a lot of congregations. But when you, when you place yourself in a church and come underneath the spiritual authority of that church, there is a special protection and even a special ability that occurs in those that lead you. And that ability is specifically for you. That's why it's important that you choose wisely when it comes to choosing a church and pastor. It's also true that if you can't submit to a pastor or the leadership in a church, then leave before you cause a bunch of issues. 
I believe there's a real crisis in submission to authority within the church today. Not this church, but in general. We have access to every preacher, teacher in the world, and just about every one of their messages. We can hear the best communicators of the gospel that the world has to offer. But if we are not physically connected to their ministry or have no way to come underneath their spiritual authority, we are truly missing something. Hear, hear me, church. Because I believe this is true with all my heart. And I'm not saying this as some kind of self-serving thing. I'm not saying it's not good to listen to these teachers and experience what the church as a whole is doing, but everyone must find a spiritual authority that they can be directly connected to and come underneath. Well, I get great messages online and I don't need a local church. You can't come underneath the spiritual authority of some preacher in some faraway state online. You can listen to them and you can take what you like and then you can get sick of what they say and go listen to somebody else. And you can become, without even knowing it, someone who's just looking for what their tickling ears want to hear. And you know what happens? You're never challenged. I'm not speaking against online stuff. I, I listen to online preachers. I love it. It's great. It's wonderful additions. But if I don't find a spiritual authority, even as your pastor, if I don't come underneath an authority, there's, I'm missing something and there's an issue in me. I can take care of myself. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. And I think some of this attitude of that happens because so many ministers have fallen. It's like, well, there's no trust for that anymore. Where's that guy? I, I'm just as good as him. I'm just as good as her. Why do I have to submit to them? Because I, I think the word of God says it. In Hebrews. As pastor, I have to be in spiritual submission to my district superintendent, who is essentially a pastor to the pastors. I also have to be in submission to the Assemblies of God as an organization. And the leadership that is international office. That's what I agreed to when I received my credentials through them. Doesn't mean that I always agree with every little detail of what they say and how they go about things, but it does mean that I've chosen them so I will submit to their authority as long as they are not in open sin or going a direction that is beyond my conscience's ability to follow. Are you hearing me today? Is it okay that I'm preaching this? It's an ignored subject because it's, it's just hard to preach that stuff. But it's still truth and it's still in the word of God. Love one another. Don't fall to false doctrines. Submit to your spiritual authority. And number four, pray for your spiritual authority. Hebrews 13, 18 says this. Pray for us, the writer says, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And of course, if you are going to submit and yield to a specific spiritual authority, then it's probably a no-brainer that you should pray for them. We should always pray for all those that lead us, be it government officials, police officers, teachers, doctors, judges, all of them. But when it comes to your spiritual authorities, please pray for them. Please pray for your pastor. I need it. The pastoral staff prayer or prays for, for all of you all the time. We call out your name before God, especially when you have specific needs that are urgent. But even generally speaking, I pray for this church family every time I pray. 
God, I pray protection over the people of First Assembly. I pray protection. I pray blessing on them. Every time I get alone with God, I pray for you. Please reciprocate that prayer back to the pastoral staff and the elders. We need it so that we will always do the right thing when it comes to leading this body of believers. I, I like what Bev Calloway used to say, uh, that you can't pray through clenched teeth. And that's a great statement. That means if you are going to pray for your spiritual authority, you're going to have to move past your anger towards them, if that exists, or whatever else is going on inside your heart to make you clench your teeth when you think about them, and humble yourself enough to pray for them. I remember the writer, or remember that the writer of Hebrews is saying all of this to Christians who were struggling a bit. They were slipping in their faith and even contemplating turning from the faith. He says to them they should pray for their leaders, their spiritual authority. And I got thinking about this. It's interesting in the COVID world that we live in, this. Whatever, you, whatever your opinion about it is, it really doesn't matter. The spiritual leadership in churches has had to work much, much harder and much, much smarter. And I'm not playing a little violin here going, oh, woe is me, I have so much work to do, you know. Not doing that. I'm just saying that understand pastors across this nation are struggling because there's so much extra work to be done. People need more connection than they've ever needed before. And trying to keep up with that and the, and the new technology of videos and, and having to get your stuff online. I mean, it, tell me if I'm wrong, Pastor Jared, Pastor Donnie, Pastor Amelia. Th th this, this Pastor Bryce is in Knoxville right now helping out Pastor Dave, which is great. But tell me if I'm wrong. We haven't like stopped running full speed since March. It's been nuts. And I don't, again, I'm not saying that as woe as me. I, I love the fact that we get to. This is, this is what we got into ministry for. But understand, we need your prayers because it's not like we're taking a break during COVID. There's less people on Sunday morning, but the workload has never been more. Something happens to your heart when you pray for your spiritual leaders, your spiritual authority. And I can, I can tell you from experience of being under and placing myself under spiritual authority that it's much easier to submit to them when you've spent time praying for them. And church, again, these are all basic things. When, when calamity strikes, go back to the basics. Love one another. Don't jump on the bandwagon and accept every false teaching that comes down the pike. Submit and listen to your spiritual authority that God has placed in your life and pray for that authority. We serve a God that has provided us with a Savior that is, is greater than any other. There are no other ways to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Jesus is superior in every way. There is no one who's ever lived who is even close to all that he is. Through him, we can enjoy the benefits of the new covenant. He has fulfilled the old covenant in every way, so much, in fact, that the old is now obsolete. Giving up your life to live for him is the greatest choice you will ever make. He will change you from the inside out and will literally set you free from yourself. 
Jesus is greater than anything you could ever imagine. And I pray that this series has opened your eyes a little bit, helped you understand the book of Hebrews a little more. And I challenge you to go back through your little booklet of notes. And if, if, you, didn't, if you missed a week or two, go back to the website and listen to those, those messages. And, 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 you know, I only covered a little, 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 little bit. Not very much. In eight weeks, you can't... We could spend all year in the book of Hebrews, literally. But go back and listen to those and study it yourself. What a great book for a time, the time that we're in right now. I want to pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you sit on the throne of our lives. And God, I thank you that your word is everlasting. It, it, it never returns void to us. Lord, we ask you to help us not only love one another, loving one another in a, in a real, effective, deliberate way. But Lord, we also want to guard our hearts and minds from false teachings. That we look to your word. We go back to those basics. And God, that we would submit and listen and even obey those spiritual authorities that you have put in our lives. We're thankful for them, God. And Lord, help us to remember to pray for them. God, we know that we are not going through the things that these early believers went through. Not near as much as they were going through. Not near the pressure. But God, you love us so much that you don't compare. You just know that it is pressure for us. And there's grace. Help us pull these truths out, God. All of them that we've been through for the last eight weeks. And apply them to our hearts, God. As, we, as your church rises above all this stuff going on and we have our finest hour. We love you, Lord, and we give you our hearts once again. We give you our lives. And we thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.